So did you know that every carpenter, every builder, every construction worker has one primary tool that they use more than any other? Uh, the interesting thing about this tool is it doesn't require electricity. You don't need a battery. It's not very sharp. Yet, the, every carpenter, every builder would be absolutely lost without it. In fact, it takes very little effort, but it is the key to success. Anybody have a shot at what that is? Hammer, close. There it is. The real builders in the house, no. A tape measure. Tape measure, if you're building something that you want to have structural integrity, you have to have exact measurements. In fact, there's a rule in construction, measure twice, cut once. Right, why? Because you can't just throw some walls together in a roof and just estimate every quarter of an inch, centimeter matters. And so you are, if you are building something, you wanna make sure that every angle, every wall, every ceiling is exactly where it needs to go. And it's how you can build something that lasts. I show you this because I want you to remember this icon. In fact, every time I, you, you use or you see a tape measure, I want you to think of the book of James. Because we're in a five, well now, six week series on the book of James, and James is basically a tape measure to our Christian faith. James is, the book of James, reading James, is literally like measuring every corner of your heart, your house, your motives, your past, your future, your sin, healing. He literally causes you to go, we're gonna measure this, and we're gonna measure this, and before you build, we're gonna measure this. And, and it's great because, uh, as, as annoying as that might be sometimes in our character, if you're gonna live in a, maybe, I don't know, a hurricane-proof house, I don't know if that's relevant, you want whoever built your house to have made really, really good measurements because you want it to have structural, or integ structural integrity. Well, guess what? God wants your life to have structural integrity. And so his brother, James, Jesus's brother, wrote a book, and that's what we've been diving into. We started it last week. We're gonna finish chapter one. And if you weren't here last week, if you're, not, if you're new to the Bible, the book of James, or you were, and you're like me, you forgot everything I said last week, here's what you need to know about the book of James. The letter of James, or at least that's his name in English, if you look in the Greek, you will see that his name is Yaakobos, which translates his Hebrew name Yaakov. And that's why most ancient and modern translations render his name as Jacob. And that's what we're going to call him in this video. Now, there are many Jacobs in the New Testament. Two of them belong to Jesus' inner circle of the 12 disciples. But this letter comes from the Jacob, who was the half-brother of Jesus himself. Now, we learn this Jacob story from the book of Acts and from Paul's letters. After Peter moved on from Jerusalem to go start new churches, Jesus' half-brother Jacob rose to prominence as a leader in the mother church in Jerusalem. It was made up mostly of Messianic or Christian Jews. This was the first Christian community ever, and we know that it fell on hard times during the 20 years that Jacob was its leader. There was a famine that led to great poverty in the region, and these Messianic Jews were being persecuted by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. But through it all, Jacob was known as a pillar of the Jerusalem church. He was also known as a peacemaker who led with wisdom and courage until he was tragically murdered. And in this book, we have the legacy of Jacob's teaching and wisdom condensed into a short and very powerful work. The book begins like a letter. He greets all the Messianic Jews who were living outside the land of Israel. But this does not read like one of Paul's letters where he addresses specific problems in one local church. Rather, this book is a summary of Jacob's sage wisdom for any and every community of Jesus' followers. And Jacob's goal isn't to teach new theological information. Rather, he wants to get in your business and challenge how you live. 
Jacob's wisdom has been heavily influenced by two sources. The first is Jesus' teaching about life in the kingdom of God, especially the Sermon on the Mount, which he's constantly echoing and quoting in the book. The second key influence is the biblical wisdom book of Proverbs, especially the poems in Proverbs 1 through 9. Jacob literally grew up with Jesus and with the book of Proverbs, and so now his own teaching sounds like them. It's stamped by their language and imagery. The book consists of short, challenging wisdom speeches that are full of metaphors and easy-to-memorize one-liners. And in essence, Jacob is calling the Messianic community to become truly wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we have a letter to his people from the half-brother of Jesus. One thing the video didn't mention that I pointed out last week, Jesus, James also didn't believe Jesus was God until after he resurrected and ascended into heaven. And so what we're gonna do over the next five weeks is take a chapter a week, and we wanna invite you, after on the back end of the message, spend the week with us in that chapter. So I would make James 1 a regular part of your reading this week. If you regularly read the Bible, there you go. If you don't, what a great time and opportunity to start. And, and, and as, uh, as the video said, I said last week, week, James really does get up in your business. It's literally like a haymaker after uppercut, like straight to your character, to your heart. And so as we go through this, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. There's going to be a ton of meat in this. And so grab the one thing. Everything that, that I'm going to show you from the book of James is like, whoa, that's good. But I'll tell you that you being here tells me something. God wants to put one specific thing on your heart to focus on this week. And so we're going to go through the, the rest of chapter one, but I want you to be thinking, God, what's the one thing that the Holy Spirit you want to put on my heart that I can focus on this week? And if you read it every day this week, maybe it'll be something different each day because he always loves to give you what you need for the day. Amen. This is a church you can holler back. Amen. That's good. Dilly dilly. Okay. In case you just forgot. All right. Um, so last week we just started the beginning and, and James chapter one really has three sections and ironically they all start with the letter T. So we're going to finish that today. But last week we talked about the first T. Anybody remember it was? Trials. Oh, thank God there was one person. One person online. I'm assuming you all typed it in. Uh, trials. And so um, we, we learned this just as a recap. Last week we talked about James came out of the gate and says, the testing of your faith develops persevering. He says, it's good when trials comes because the testing of your faith. What I didn't get to tell you, and as a remind, remind you, is that God is never going to waste a difficult situation. You may be going through something difficult, but there's something to be gained. In fact, this idea of testing uh, would have been understood in those days as uh, how a silversmith were to test the purity of silver. If you don't know how that went, a silversmith, to get the most pure, uh, valuable silver, they would put it in a pot and then put that pot under a very hot fire. And as it got hot enough, what would happen is all of the impurities, which uh, would, call, would be called dross, would come to the top. And it would, it would, it would basically uh, reveal itself. They would scoop out the dross, heat it back up again until more dross came to the top, more impurities, scoop it out, and then heat it up again. And so they were literally turning up the heat until they burned out all the impurities. That's exactly what God is saying. James is saying that God will do with the trials in our time. And here's how the silversmith knew that, that, that he had the purest form of silver, is they would heat it up, and that final time, there would be no impurities that came to the top. And the, and the silversmith knew he had pure silver when he could look over the silver and see his reflection accurately and purely into the silver. And so God will use the trials in our life to purify us, watch this, so that when he looks at us, he sees his reflection. 
as hard as they may be, he's going to keep burning out the dross until he's like, man, that looks a lot like me. She looks a lot like me. He looks a lot like me. And so this is the idea of what it means when James says, this is what it means to be mature, complete, not lacking anything. It's the opposite of this American gospel that we talk about here that says, if you follow Jesus, it'll be wonderful. He'll take all your pain away. He'll make you rich and life will get so much easier. Like that is nowhere in the Bible, but this is because God, uh, I'm so glad I had a pastor in my life early on tell me that God is more interested in your holiness than your happiness, son. God is more interested in you being holy than happy. Holy meaning set apart, uh, a standard of God being righteous, being the best version of yourself. God is more interested in that than you having it easy or being happy. And so what I love about James is he's really measuring things and he forces us to really ask, ask probably the most important question, which is what is the ultimate goal of my life? If you've never asked yourself that question, you owe it to yourself to ask yourself, what is the ultimate goal of your life? And, and there's an easy way to find out if you've never evaluated it. Just look at where your time, your energy, and your bank account goes. Where that goes is the most important thing in your life, and that is the goal of your life. And so James is gonna make us ask this question, and we're gonna keep coming back to this over the next few weeks in James of, is the goal of my life truly to become more like Jesus? Do I really want, when he looks down, do I want his reflection in me? Or am I about something else? As James is basically saying, there's not much room for either side and he wants to help us be that, that person. And so he says in James 1, let, let perseverance finish its work in verse four so you may be sure and complete, not lacking anything. And so here's what James is saying. When you think of this process of the dross, when you think of the hard times, think of it like a cake. And this, is, this helps me so much. When you're baking a cake, like you have the end goal in mind, right? Strawberry cake, cream cheese frosting, like come on, somebody's mouth gotta be watering right now, right? But when you're making the cake, you don't ever eat any of the individual ingredients because they're not that good. Raw eggs, just flour, too much of that vinegar, like it like twings your tongue, right? You would never eat the ingredients, but you mix them together, you bake it, you let it run its course, and then at the end, you have this really great cake, right? Maturity is the same way. We may not like the ingredients required to get maturity, but we want the maturity like we want the cake. And so James is inviting us to see it that way, that we have to trust the process of, of all this maturity that's going on, that God is actually making us into what he wants us to be. And so we're gonna pick up where we left off last week, James chapter one, verse five. And again, if you brought your Bible or you have a U version or another app, we're just gonna go through, we're gonna cover most of the verses. And so I'm gonna jump in and we'll just kind of explain it and we'll keep going. And so James one, five says now, um, now that you know, and I love that James is so brilliant how he constructs this. He says, now that you know trials are gonna come and, and, uh, and it's gonna be hard. He says, I know you're gonna need some stuff. And so he says, if and when that happens, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. That is a powerful verse right there. James 1, 6 is a verse I have come to love. You know what this says? It says, when I don't know what to do, when I lack perspective, when I'm being immature, that I can ask God for perspective or for wisdom. And it says he's gonna give it to me generously. And it says what he's not gonna do is hold my mistakes against me. So what I'm not gonna do is go, hey God, I'm having a hard time with this. I need you to help me get it right. He's not gonna go, you idiot. Why didn't you ask me this like 10 years ago? Or why didn't you ask me this seven bad decisions ago in a row? It says he's not gonna hold your faults and mistakes against you. He actually wants to give you the wisdom. And he says, but when you ask for wisdom, you have to believe and not doubt 
because the one who doubts is like a wave of a seat blown, tossed around by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because such a person is a double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so James is challenging our faith and he's saying the challenge of faith is not to be a wave. And we all know all too well what the damages of a wave can do if the winds are high enough and they stick around long enough, like, I don't know, nine hours. But some of us, this is the challenge for us because James is saying, don't just be like a, a sparkle on, and glisten on the top or we sparkle and dance when the sun is out. But as soon as the clouds come and the waves come, your faith is gone. He's saying, don't be like that. And so when James talks about wisdom, when he talks about asking God for wisdom, he's not actually just talking about, help me to know the right answers to hard questions. He's actually asking God for perspective. He's saying it be, wisdom begins with the ability to see hardships through a new lens in which we can trust God even in the middle of them. And so true wisdom then, according to James, is believing God, trusting God, despite my circumstances. So James is going in on this trial thing. He's like, hey, we're gonna become the reflection of God. He's gonna use it. You may not love the ingredients, but you're gonna love the outcome, right? And that's true with almost anything, financial stability, health, uh, any goal you have. You may not love the process, but you do love the outcome. Well, it's no different in character and it's no different in becoming like Jesus. If again, the, the, the most important question to you is, is, do I want to be like Jesus? Is, is my goal my life to become more like him? And so that's the first section. James is just gonna hit trials. And he's like, here's what's gonna happen. And then it's like James knew how we were wired. And so he moves to the second section, which is the second T. And he goes, I wanna make an important distinction so you're really clear on what is and isn't happening here. And so he says, now, now that you know hard times are gonna come, when they come, when you fall on hard times, and he jumps in in verse 12 and he says this. First, he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood that test, that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he's again reminding them, like, he's like, pass the test, stick with it, God's not left you. But then he's gonna switch gears and he's gonna make it really clear about who's doing what when things get hard. Because while God will allow hard things, God is not intentionally making your life harder. Watch what James says. He says, I know when you get going through hard stuff, you're gonna wanna be like, start blaming God on stuff. And he's like, don't do that. I tried, I grew up with him, never worked. So verse 13 says, when tempted, when you're tempted, things get bad. I want to be angry. I want to walk away from God. I want to be depressed. When you're tempted, I'm just going to maybe drink a little bit more. I'm going to move more into this vice. Oh, look, but don't touch. One more drink, whatever. He says, when you're tempted, because things get hard, you get more tempted. No one should say God is doing this. He's saying, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor will he tempt anyone with evil. He says, actually, let me tell you what's really going on. He says, when we are tempted, each person is tempted when we are dragged away by our own evil desires. And then with our desires, we are enticed, we're seduced. Uh, there's like a lure thrown in the water for us. And he says, then after we're enticed, after desire has conceived, it gives birth and it becomes sin. Sin is missing the mark, crossing the line, moving away from God, being the opposite of who you're meant to be. And then sin, he says, when it becomes full grown, actually gives birth to death. And so James is saying, not only are trials a part of life, but temptation is going to be a regular part of life, which is important to know because there's kind of a myth out there with some people like, oh, when I become a Christian, all these evil desires just leave me. I only ever want to do the right thing. Said no one ever. Now, when you become a Christian, when you say yes to Jesus, your spirit, a part of you does always want to do the right thing. 
but there's also still your flesh that always wants to do the wrong thing. The good news is your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotion is the deciding factor. And it mostly listens to whichever one of those two you feed the most. Come on, somebody. I've taught this before. We'll teach it again. And so, so James is going, hey, let's just be clear what's happening here. Yes, things got hard, but the temptation, that's not God. So when these urges arise in you, you become lured or you become enticed. And here's what you have to know about yourself. This is why self-awareness and just vulnerability, transparency is so important because all of us are born with certain predispositions towards certain sins and certain desires. If you haven't figured that out, I'll tell you who has, the enemy of your soul. So you can pretend you're not, you can put on a mask or a facade that I'm good, but all of us have a leaning towards something. It may be lust and pornography and sexual activity. Uh, it may be towards like gambling. It may be towards uh, uh, like a substance abuse. And I'm not talking a, a margarita, I'm talking 12 or 13 margaritas and you know, wash it down with the rest of the bar uh, laced with some drugs. Uh, some of, us, some of us are predisposed towards maybe gossip uh, or slander, complaining. Some of us are predisposed, maybe even a little bit towards uh, anxiety and depression, and that's a really complicated conversation. Uh, but we all have things that lure us, that, that some of us finances could just cause us to like lose our, our character and our salvation. And here's the thing, you can convince everybody else, you're, I'm good, but the devil knows. And so I grew up in the Midwest. We like to fish. In the Midwest, we had fresh water. I know how to catch fish. I know what bait to use for trout. I know what bait to use uh, for, for sunfish and bluegill. I know what bait to use for bass, different parts of the season. I came to, down here and I'm like, you use different bait in the ocean based on different fish you want to catch. But I did learn everything eats shrimp. So if you want to catch fish, just use shrimp for bait. Um, <laughs> But my point is when you get enticed, you got to picture it like you're that bass or whatever. And the devil knows what lure to throw your direction. Oh, look at her. Look at that. Oh man, you could just swipe that off the top. No one would know. Oh, you could, you know, one more hit, one more this. Oh, it'll just, you'll just, you'll just gamble with 10 bucks. It won't be that big of a deal. You can still feed your, whatever it is. And again, it never starts with death. It starts with an enticement. But the devil's like, I want you to chomp at that thing because once I do, I got you because you might think that you are strong enough, but you're not. And so James is saying, these are your desires and you get lured in and you go after it. And James is saying, it's like a lure when there's fishing. We know it's wrong, but we want it anyway. And when we do, the moment I go for it is when it bursts itself into sin and it starts to cause real problems in some area, if not many areas of my life. That's what he calls sin. And here's what God is saying. You have two choices. When that lure hits the water in your direction, based on your predisposition, you can either go get that thing or you can swim away and swim towards God. And God says, swim towards me, swim away. He says, don't do it because it's not worth, sin will always cost you more than you're willing to pay, take you further than you're willing to go. He says, don't, so he says, swim to me, swim away. And, and this is what God would say to you. Even for those who are like, it's so hard, I can't. James is saying, no, you can. You've just made such a lifestyle of going after the bait. God wants to give you strength to swim towards him. And some of us have been, had parts of our lives destroyed because of that. And God has brought us out of that. And we know what that's like. We're like, man, I used to be down, but now I swim toward God. And God would say to you, if you swim towards me, you will find life. I will be your good shepherd. I will make your cup run over. The thing that you think you want in that, I have way more over here, but swim towards me. And I also think it's important that I just say this because some people, you have been maybe been beating yourself up literally for decades, that temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Some of you have been feeling so guilty for being tempted. Temptation is only a sin if you go for it. If you struggle, it means you're fighting. It doesn't mean you're losing. To struggle with sin is to be a Christian. 
To give in is where you start to give problems. And so some of you, I, I spent a lot of my life, oh, there's so much temptation, I'm struggling. And finally I had somebody point out like, good, you're fighting, you're saying no, you're struggling away from it. And so to be tempted is not a sin, to give in is. And so some of you, you need to let yourself off the hook. And so James is gonna go on, he's talking about this, this desire, this, this temptation thing. And so in verse 16, he says, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters, Every good and perfect gift is from above. He's just making a real clear distinction. Trials come, but temptation is of the devil, but anything good comes from God. In case you're just wondering about that, because I know the devil's gonna lie to you. He said, it comes from the Father uh, of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. And what he's saying here is that God, again, going back to this idea, God is a generous God. And he, uh, as we see in scripture, he gives us new birth, not through our actions, but through the, the work of Jesus on the cross. That's the, the word of truth. And so um, what James would point out and what I will tell you that I've learned in my life, if you're struggling with temptation, it is a lot easier to resist temptation when you are focused on the mission of God. If you're just wading water where they throw out lures, you're like, hey, I'm just gonna hang out in the, I've been an alcoholic my whole life, but I'm just gonna hang out in the parking lot of a bar, see what happens. Like I can tell you how that's gonna go. If you're just wading water versus you're like, hey, sorry, I'm busy loving God, loving people, being a good neighbor. You know what's really interesting? For 14 days, about 15 hours a day, we were serving and helping save our city. There was a whole lot not of sin going on. We weren't arguing, we weren't fighting, we weren't lusting, we weren't being greedy, we weren't, you know why? We were too fit, we were too focused on the mission of God. We were spending too much of our time and energy doing what we were built to do. We didn't really have time for that. And so when you're focused on the mission, you don't have to be like, God, give me strength. He's like, how about we just give you something better to do? I was that kid that if you didn't want me to do that, you got to distract me with something better. God knows. So it's a lot easier to resist that temptation when you focus on what he has us do. And, and how do we feed ourselves? He says right here, the word of truth, the word of God is literally like medicine that goes deep into our being. It heals hurts, it changes motivation, it brings literal transformation. And so James is saying, trials are coming, but don't be, don't, be, don't be caught up in this. God's not tempting you, he's gonna use it, but he's not tempting you. Only thing good thing comes from God, bad comes from the devil. And then he's gonna move to the third section right here. And he's gonna get into this, and he's gonna get into this again in a couple chapters. So we're just gonna kinda uh, browse this real quick. He says, uh, the third one is the last T, and there may not be a more needed passage in the church uh, of America, the church today. And the third T is tongue. So James 1 is about trials, temptation, and tongue. And here's what he says. My dear brothers and sisters, almost every time he says that, you know he's shifting gears. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to get angry. Amen. By the way, an ancient reader would have interpreted that as godly wisdom. The wisdom we're asking him for, he gives you what it looks like. What is biblical wisdom? It's having all kinds of mysteries. No, it's three things. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. He gives us these three directives, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That is biblical wisdom. Do you know what worldly wisdom is? The opposite of that. Worldly wisdom is speak loud, have an opinion, don't listen to anybody. And man, if somebody says something, you don't, you know, like <laughs> Hulk, rage monster. 
And we live in a culture right now. Worldly wisdom says, right? Everyone has a right to be heard. Everybody wants to be heard. We want to tweet. We want to comment. We want to get into it on this or that at the coffee shop or on Facebook or whatever the case may be. Uh, and James would say to us, I believe, hey, human wisdom rarely, if ever, produces good proverbs or good fruit in your life. And so sl slow, quick to speak, slow to speak, quick to listen. In other words, James, I think if James were here and he was kind of preaching in English in America, he would say, Listen good, shut up, and chill out. <laughs> that, that could be our next shirt right there. Shirt idea. I get the proceeds. I called it dibs. I would share with James. He's been gone a long time. Uh, <laughs> and he goes on further. And he's like, hey, in case you like, need an explanation, I don't think you do. He's like, because, verse 20, human anger never produces the reflection of God. Human anger never produces the righteousness of God. Oh, but pastor, I struggle with, with anger so much. Uh, if anybody lacks wisdom or perspective, they should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. See, if you're starting to feel like I struggle, James already covered the solution. Ask God and he'll give generously without finding fault. And go, you idiot, you're a rage monster. Why would you ask now? He's like, thank you for asking. I'm gonna give you so much more peace and so much more calmness and so much more gentleness. And fellas, we can be calm and gentle and we can still be strong, okay? It doesn't have to be either or. He says, and get rid of all moral filth and the evil that so prevalently and humbly accept the word that is planted in you that can save you. James is saying this, shh, listen and care and don't get so riled up. I've talked to so many people that I said, hey, tell me what the hurricane, the impact has been on you personally. They said, man, you know what? I realized I just got riled up about a bunch of stuff that didn't really matter. This has shown me what really, really matters. And James would say, just focus on what matters. Let's major on the majors. Anger doesn't accomplish what God wants to accomplish. In fact, James is emphasizing the need for patience. And anger is typically one of the things that happens when patience runs out. And patience and anger rarely, if ever, coexist. And so the way God is gonna work in and through us is, and, and, and you have to think about how does God work in our life? God doesn't take out his nasty anger on us to make things right, right? Isn't he gentle and patient? Like super gentle and patient? So why would he want us to be any different with each other? His, his word, his spirit, and he wants to turn our, anger into patience. He wants to turn our blabbering into compassion and wisdom. Isn't this so good? And then he says something that I, my dad had a saying from this and, and, and I realized he got this from James a long time ago. And then he says this, it's like James, like I've said some good things, but here's the most important thing. I love this. He says, and verse 22, and be not hearers of the word only, but be doers. He says, do not merely listen, because if you just hear it, if you just, this is James, don't get mad at me. If you just come to church and hear somebody talk about it, but you don't go out and be about it, it doesn't matter. And some of us, we understand that. Like, don't talk about it, be about it. Now, I will say the last few weeks, we have been about it. I, am, I told you I'm a proud pastor, but let's keep being about it. Like my dad always used to say, talk is cheap. Let's see some action. Don't be hearers, but be doers as well. He says, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks in the mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets what they look like. Or he's saying they forgot they have the reflection of the maker. So trials, tongue, temptation. We're not gonna just be hearers, but doers. James is saying, hey, groups are good. Worship is good. Uh, Sunday attendance, Saturday attendance is good. But what are you doing? 
And here's what I'll tell you. Some of you are like, man, I'm just missing the blessings of God. The blessings of God don't come when we hear the word of God. The blessings of God come when we go do the word of God. And some of us, the blessing we're missing, he's like, hey, go do it. And so we have to, what James is saying is, is listen, it's, it's like this. Um, what would happen if you just ate and ate and ate and ate and never exercised? You would become unhealthy, overweight, obese, right? James might say, the danger the church could be in is we'd have a bunch of spiritually fat Christians that we come and we eat and we eat and we eat, but we don't go exercise. So he's saying, don't just eat, go burn off those spiritual calories by loving your neighbor and do something. Isn't that a good word? Challenge. Hey, we, James is going to get in our business. And so he closes with this. <laughs> he's just like, and if that's not enough, I got like two uppercuts just to take you all out. 26 and 27. He says, because he's talking about being hearers and doers. And he goes, so let me just level the playing field. He goes, those actually who consider themselves religious, but they don't keep a tight rein on their tongue. They not only deceive themselves, but their religion is completely worthless. Well, what is James? Oh, he's Jesus' brother. Darn it. He's like, hey, if we're just going to talk about it, our religion is worthless. He's like, be about it. He goes, you want to know religion? Our father like really, really counts as pure, that he's faultless. He goes, here's what I'm looking for. Look after orphans and widows who were the most vulnerable people in that time. So he would say, now take care of vulnerable people and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. That's the end of his first chapter. He's just like, and if nothing else, he's like, man, your religion is worthless if all you do is talk and then go take care of vulnerable people and work on that, 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 that righteousness, that silver, that image thing there. And if you do that, man, you are on to this idea because James is introducing this new humanity, this new way to be human. And we discover this new humanity, not just when we listen to God's word. Oh, I know it's a tape measure. No, no, no. But what does it say? But when we actually do it, when we let it measure our lives, when we let it measure our motives, when we let it measure us, it's the perfect word of freedom. And so I think if James were to be able to come up here on stage and go in conclusion, Chapter one, these three things. What can we take away from this? Speak with love, take care of the vulnerable and be wholly devoted to God. I told you, James cuts the fat and he's fanatically practical. Speak with love, take care of the vulnerable and the marginalized and be wholly devoted to God. As I mentioned, it is a beautiful gut punch for anybody who wants to follow Jesus because the question is all, all this chapter is under the umbrella of, do I really want my life to be like Jesus? Do I really want to be like Jesus? And if the answer is yes, James is going to help us get there. And if the answer is no, it's going to reveal itself pretty quick. And so in conclusion, stay on mission. Don't just start talking. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Keep your anger at bay. And for the love of God, go do something. Who knew that one of the most profitable, iconic brands in our time stole it straight from the book of James? Just do it. I had it planned it was gonna come. Yeah, there it was. <laughs> so close. So trials are gonna come. When they do, God doesn't tempt you. And let's make sure we keep a rein on our tongues and let's not just talk about it, let's be about it. That's just the first chapter. There's four more coming. And he's like, if that's not enough about the tongue, we'll be more on that in a couple of chapters. So how do we close? Cause we're out of time. I wanna talk to two groups of people real quick and then we're gonna pray. For all those who you, the answer to you is yes, I, I do want to be like Jesus. That's what I'm, I'm trying to get the dross out of my life. 
then I would ask, what is the, what is the thing the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on for you? What's, the, what's he pinpointing? What is it? Is it tongue? Is it the temptation? Is it the lure? Is it swimming towards God? Is it, is it more doing it than it is just talking about Is I need to put my faith in action? What is it? I'm gonna pray for you. But the other group of people is, this only matters, is it even relevant at, at that first question, is, is the goal of your life to become more like Jesus? And maybe you're here, maybe you're watching and you're like, man, I've tried everything else. This is the time. I know this is what I'm looking for. This is the kind of life you wanna build. The good news is God's not gonna hold your mistakes against you. Jesus already paid for those. And so he just wants you to be entering into his relationship with him and take his life for yours. The Bible literally says he's standing at the door knocking on your heart and your life. And if you would open your life, he will come in and he will radically transform you like we many of us have experienced. And if that's you today, I'm gonna pray. We're all gonna say a quick prayer and we just wanna introduce you and say a prayer saying, Jesus, come in. If you've never said that prayer before, I would ask before you leave, we're going to pray this together, but before you leave, please text Cape Yes to 94,000 because I want to send you a video. We want to walk with you through this journey and help you maximize every bit of you following Jesus that there is to be maximized. If you came in with needs, anything you need somebody to talk to or pray with, we have our ministry team right here in the prayer room. If you're online, we have a, a, a prayer team online as well. But I just want to close. I want to say a really simple prayer, but I want to invite you to pray with me. So if you're physically able, uh, would you just stand to your feet? And we're just going to close and we're going to take James at his word. And I hope that you will dig even deeper in your own on James chapter one this week until we get to next weekend for James chapter two. I want to invite you, if you're, if you're comfortable, to just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I want to be like Jesus. Bring the impurities. Bring the dross to the surface so I can reflect you more in my life. I open myself to your word, to your truth. Help me not just to hear it, but to do it. And Jesus, I hear you knocking. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. You take the reins. I no longer live for me. I live for you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. I'm so glad it's free and I don't have to earn it. In Jesus' name, amen.